Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. This is a CBC podcast. Hi, folks. Uh, Jeremy here. Quick little message, little announcement. We are doing a friggin' live show, baby. Uh, we're calling it Cova La Vida Loca. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, <laughs> no, no, we're calling it Livin' Covida Loca. We're calling it Livin' Covida Loca. Uh, <laughs> COVID La Vida Cova. Shit. Let me start that over. Let's start that over. Hello, folks. Jeremy here from Sick Boy Podcast. A quick little announcement at the top of the show. We're doing a live show, and uh, we could not be more excited. It is happening a couple of weeks from now on July 8th at uh, 9 p.m. Atlantic Standard Time. So that's, if you're in Toronto, that's 8 p.m., and if you're in... Vancouver, that is 9 p.m. minus four hours, so whatever that would be. Um, So we're really excited and uh, can't wait to do this. And here's the thing. You can buy tickets to this online live show, which we are calling Livin' Covita Loca or something like that. And you can buy tickets to this show by going to sickboypodcast.com slash shows or, or you can quit being a freeloading motherfucker and go to patreon.com slash sick boy, become a patron. And then guess what? You get into all of our future online live shows for free. So you're better off to just join any Patreon tier and get into the show that way. But if you know, you want to keep stealing from us, uh, just go to sickboypodcast.com slash shows. Now, listen, we actually did a test show a couple of weeks back with just our patrons. It was a fucking hell of a good time. And you know who was there? Brian Stever was there. Hi, Brian. Hey, what's up? Uh, why don't you tell the folks why this live show that we are doing on July 8th at 9 p.m. Atlantic Standard Time, where they can get their tickets at sickboypodcast.com slash shows, or just go to patreon.com slash sickboy and become a patron to get free tickets. Tell them why they would have a great time coming to this live show that we're doing online. Well, I could probably tell you a hundred reasons, Jer, but basically because we're running out of time here, I'll just tell you this one. You know, we're capable of doing so many cool interactive online things that we can do virtually that we wouldn't be able to do in person. So because we're able to, you know, create this whole unique digital experience, it's well worth your investment of only $7 to take part and join in. That was a really good pitch, Ryan, or Bri. Um, uh, maybe I should get your name right, and that, it's as if we haven't been doing a fucking show together for five years. Um, uh, but you're right. It, there is, you know, the, it is a very interactive experience, which is really fun, and it is something that we haven't been able to do at our regular live shows. Like, we, you know, to be quite honest with you, like dropping the whole like sales pitch thing here, I, I've been putting a ton of work into learning like broadcasting software and Brian's like, like busting his ass on, on like his design skills to like, you don't mean re- I, you mean I don't have to talk like this no, anymore? No, no you, you definitely <laughs> don't. Uh, but it, we're putting a lot of work into this. It, it, you just put it really well there, Brian. It's an experience. And, uh, you know, 
although the world is slowly opening back up, we're still limited to the things that we're capable of doing on our nights, our evenings. And so uh, on a Wednesday night, if you got nothing better to do, just fucking go to sickboypodcast.com slash shows and uh, grab a ticket to our show because it's going to be a fucking great time. We've got a great guest lined up. And uh, Bri, I can't wait to continue this whole new normal with you of doing live shows online. Oh, man, I love you, dude. And honestly, if you love Sick Boy, just uh, just help us spread the message that we're doing this because this really does help to support the show. And, uh, you know, we're not able to do our, our keynote talks and our and our live shows in person right now. So um, just taking part. We're in going being, under. Being... We're, this, the podcast is going under. <laughs> we are struggling. Help us. Help us. Being uh, an audience member here really does help. Uh, all right, enough of that. Sickboypodcast.com slash shows or patreon.com slash sickboy. And on with the show. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Satan, you bow your knee. Satan, you bow your knee. You fall on your face. You fall on your face. COVID-19. remember um in korea i believe it was korea there was a yes there was a sports team <laughs> that filled their stands with um not sex dolls uh real life action figure models okay human, action human human pleasure doll human uh, no, pleasure models. no again I, i'm gonna i'm gonna correct you there action figure models uh so very realistic dolls that can be used for intimate purposes and sex or robots and or to be dressed up and shown off because sometimes sometimes people like to play with really large dolls uh, and not with just their genitals. So uh, there was but the, mostly there was a, their genitals. Get, so, get to the point. So <laughs> there was a there was a sports team in Korea and they they came under fire. I believe it was a a, a soccer league. They came under fire because they filled their stands because they so you know like like most major sports across the world, COVID has has sort of ended them or at least ended the attendance of these sports and so um someone had the bright idea of like filling the stands with mannequins or like cardboard cutouts and then they were like well let's step it up a notch and get these real life action figure model sex dolls because they do look very realistic and let's dress them up in like in our unrealistically large breasts um, I, well, it depends. It depends on what Is, you order. Uh, wait, wait, dude. I've been sitting here wondering if, if we're about to get an update or are we just re-talking about <laughs> we, the same thing that we already no, talked no, about? No, 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 no. We are going to get an update. So, so, But if you forgot the story, <laughs> that's the story. And they got in trouble because they used sex dolls and like they were going to get fined a crazy amount. Well, uh, a, I believe this is coming out of Korea as well. Uh, I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive this is Korea as well. It's a baseball league 
They have also filled the stands, and this is after the whole sex doll fiasco. And I'm going to show you guys this photo here of the baseball team, the baseball league, and what they did with their stands. I think this is is another in the world surprised audience of sex dolls. No, (laughs) no, it's an audience full. Of stuffed animals. That is uh-huh. family friendly. If I've ever, if I, if the world word family friendly ever ever struck a chord with me, it's right now. And you know what I'm, so I'm impressed. Cute. Looking at that, like very quickly, there are, if not, if not any or very few duplicated stuffed animals. No, like right. you're right. And and well, also, oh, there's two SpongeBob's. Yeah, two SpongeBob's. Two yeah SpongeBob's. but but even the two SpongeBob's are different size SpongeBob's. They are. I think there's That's multiple true. Pikachu's going on. Yeah, I see multiple Pikachu's. I see multiple Winnie the Poohs. But they're, even so, yeah, they're all di- they're all unique though. Yeah, yeah. You know what? After seeing this, yeah, I didn't think that there was much wrong with the uh, with the sex doll thing because they were just they were clothed and everything and. You couldn't see all the ports uh, yeah. to use, yeah. um, but um, but now now seeing this. Wait, I'm sorry, sorry. Hold on, thing, hold on, hold on. Ports, yeah, the ports, yeah, ports uh, like where you could dock. On yeah, a, like any on, any port in a storm. Yeah, <laughs> like like where you could dock. Do you call your Kyla's vagina a port? <laughs> yeah, I mean we like to keep things pretty technical. Um, <laughs> Pretty robotic. It's you're like a, plug in. You're just yeah, plug yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, it's you, kind you, of a she, port. She lays on the bed. You go to the opposite side of the condo and you go. Yeah. Ships going yeah. into the port. Yeah, like, babe. A, like a port, like a port in a like a port at a at a, in a city port or like a or like a USB type of thing. Um, but like it's not like Apple. It where it's always changing. It's always the same type yeah, of port. So she keeps saying to you, I feel like you're not getting enough power, Taylor. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I so know, if there's you, always a power shortage. If you want to see uh, these photos, we'll put the link in the description. But it, it is pretty Guys, damn cute to see all these little we, uh, stuffed animals. But in comparison, watching, how, watch, shame, <laughs> on, shame, on the, shame on the Korean soccer team. No, in, no, in absolutely not. So, no, so, shame, so shame. The, the, the reason I brought this up is that um, this is... The, I, I hope this is kind of catching on, and I feel like it is sort of catching on, like a bit of a trend, uh, because I also saw, and I don't have the photo to show you guys, but you can imagine it. I saw the other day, and I thought this was fucking super cool. There's something very artistic about it. They, they, there was a, um, I believe it was in the U.S. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Let, let us know on, on Instagram. Um, but it, there was a symphony that put on a show, and instead of an audience... They were doing the show to uh, uh, an uh, like a plants. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Where, where would the symphony take place? Like a, an auditorium, an amphitheater. Yeah, an amphitheater filled. The, the audience was filled with beautiful plants. So they put yeah, they put like I said plants there not because I wanted to spoil your story, but because I wasn't sure if you were looking for the word plants. Yeah, no, I wasn't. <laughs> I, I knew what I was. I knew what I was talking about there. It was living. Uh, yeah. Growing green, no, green shit. Drinking water, but not really. They're technically alive, I guess. It's like absorbing water. It's I, not really drinking. What, what I was going to say is really surprising and shocking to me is that you can you can tell us about a story about like a really adorable story about how there are a bunch of stuffed animals in the audience in attendance at a baseball game, and we can make it about something sexual. Like it's it's yeah, well. it's sad. It it uh, it makes me feel shame. 
I will say I would watch whoa, more sports whoa. if that's what the stands were like. Makes you feel shame? <laughs> what the fuck, Brian? You it, need to it, listen it, to more it's, Turn it's Me shame, On podcasts, it, dude. It's yeah. shameful. It's shameful that we can't just talk about a, an adorably cute story and and not sexualize it. Yeah, but it wouldn't be funny unless we sexualized it, though. Also, there's no, sh- there's nothing wrong with sex. All right, so uh, I'm we'll not, just... I'm not shamed. No, I don't I know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if everyone would agree with that, Jeremy. Yeah, that. Well, and that's, and that's wrong. <laughs> Your opinion is wrong. <laughs> I Maybe just, the I next just... thing we can do in stadiums for public health is like everyone dress up as furries with like something covering <laughs> yeah. the head. That's not sexual at all. So we can combine them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just it, saying. It, it is it is funny to think about. I mean, we're, we just keeps coming back to sex, but like in the kink world, um, how I was listening to the the one of the latest episodes of the Dose, and they were they were covering and talking about um, practicing safe safe sex during COVID, and like how can we get back to, you know, people aren't going to wait until this is over to continue to have sexual relations with partners, right? Like, it's just not, it's just not a fucking thing. Like, people can only go so long before they need intimate touch and, and experiences like that. And so uh, Brian Goldman was talking to uh, this, this sexual health expert from New York, and one of the things that they were talking... Actually, we covered one of the was pieces the, that they put out. Was he the dude that, that was promoting glory holes? He was one of the people that was a part of putting that entire thing together. Oh, yeah. And, and one of the things that he talked about, which was really interesting, was, you know, they were talking about masks and wearing masks during sex and, like, they, and, and comparing wearing a mask during sex to, you know, it's, this, it's, it's not that much different than wearing a condom during sex, Right. And so we, ha- we like we have these ways that we protect ourselves when we're intimate with people, and so using a mask while having sex with another person is is just a, a you know it's another barrier that can protect you from getting sick. Does, does it really help that much though when you're being like that intimate and physically close with somebody else? Uh, I yes, guess. I I mean it, it helps more, it, than yeah, more than not. Yeah, more than more than not having so, it. Right? Dude, imagine like that's just like a new it's like a new <laughs> added dimension to like safe sex. Imagine what it would have been like for like the first time that somebody was like, "Yo, guys, you should put something on your dick. <laughs> uh, I mean, long, imagine, it, imagine it, what that, what that been, thought process was for it's guys. Been around, yeah, and that, that practice has been around for a long time. And like some crazy, you know, condoms, prophylactics were, I mean, we, they, they, they used to use like horns, hollowed out horns. That's fucking that's awesome. Fucking no, no, not at all. That now that's awful. I want to. I want to. No. I, I want to use a horn. I tell Kyla <laughs> she can come over here anytime she wants, just to get uh, away from so, you. <laughs> to, there's there's nothing the else. Horn. There's nothing else to it, just to get away from you. Oh. Uh, anyway, so so in that conversation, guys, with that that doctor. Hold on, hold guys, on. I shut the fuck shamed. up and let me finish this. <laughs> it, it, Brian Goldman was talking to this person, and they were talking about how the kink in the kink world. Masks have have actually been used in sex for quite a while, you know, so referring to furries like you just brought up there, um, Lauren, sometimes it's not always sexual. I understand that. But furries, uh, you know, there's like pup play and like masks that they wear there. Uh, there's a lot. There's Definitely a lot. Definitely wearing masks there. There's, there's a lot of masks in uh, a lot of masks in like like in like the leather leather um, leather play and stuff like that. So anyway, it's just a really it was a really interesting thought to think about how 
some for some people that idea of like wearing a mask and only having sex positions where like you're not facing one another face to face is like will break someone's fucking head and they'll go oh wait what I can't wrap my head yeah. around whereas there's other people that are like I've been doing that shit uh, so that's interesting you know stuffed toys plants who knows what the fuck else will be filling stadiums with in the coming years because uh, right now it doesn't seem like humans are going to be able to sit their butts in those seats for any time uh, anytime soon but I like the I like this idea of like arts like artistically finding ways to fill the fill the seats you know what would be just easier if they just did if they just did CGI because um uh, I can't help but think about how expensive it would be to put stuffed animals in all of those seats yeah. and you would and well the I mean the the sex dolls is another thing like those were like those are very what, like expensive. 3 to 5000 dollars yeah, per, yeah that, I, I mean that per I, doll, so. that I I can't wrap my head around how much they would have spent for that mm-hmm. so like that's what I'm wondering because usually I mean that's selling tickets Selling tickets is usually a way for them to make money. So, like, obviously, if they're paying money to fill their stadiums, it seems kind of counterproductive. Yeah, and, like, you watch video games, and, like, you know, video games like NHL or FIFA or any of those sports games, I mean, like, they've got pretty decent generated audience. Like, like when you play FIFA, CGI it sounds is like not it, it cheap, really does though. sound like you're there. I mean, like, I, I guess I suppose one thing they could do is, like, just fill the background with a green screen and then yeah and like add it in that way right you know like where the it's same like, way they put um they put the ads on uh on yeah. the surface and it, they look three-dimensional but like the players don't see them the players don't see the ads someone's gonna hear this and steal this idea I, I'm telling <laughs> yeah you right now. we're in a position to we're in a position to to kickstart <laughs> to kickstart this this project for especially in Korea. massive sports teams. <laughs> uh, something else that's fucking crazy. This came out almost a month ago. Well, not quite. A couple of weeks ago. Um, this 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 fucking blew my mind. I mean, okay, so America is so fucked up right now. Uh, like I've never in my life have looked at another country and felt the feelings that I feel like I do when I think about mm. how fucked the U.S. is. To all, of our US li- to all of our U.S. listeners, we love you, and also, I'm so sorry. Come to Canada. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, so sorry. sorry. I'm so yeah. sorry. Just come, just come up here. Um, but this is, a, this is an article coming out of the Seattle Times, um, and it was written by Danny Westneat. Here's the title. Coronavirus survival comes with a $1.1 million, 181-page price tag. Remember Michael Floor, the longest hospitalized COVID-19 patient who, when he unexpectedly did not die, was jokingly dubbed the miracle child? Well, now they can also call him the million-dollar baby. Floor, who's 70, who came so close to death in the spring that a night shift nurse held a phone to his ear while his wife and kids said their final goodbyes, is recovering nicely these days at his home in West Seattle. But he says his heart almost failed a second time when he got the bill from his healthcare odyssey from his healthcare odyssey the other day. I'm not sure what healthcare odyssey is. Maybe the U.S. listeners can tell us. Um, he's quote, I opened it and said, holy bleep. I'm going to guess he said, holy fuck. But <laughs> it, it also could be holy could've shit. Ho- could have been shit. Yeah, yeah. Holy cock. <laughs> um, <laughs> the total tab for this for his bout with the coronavirus is $1.1 million, 
$1,122,501.04 to be exact. Uh, I all- can't imagine the price tag, the combined price tag of this for people, and especially people who can't this afford is, it, and especially... This is one dude. People this is who one have, guy. Imagine all the compounded issues, and this was a big issue. I was listening to... Fuck, I can't remember what podcast it was, but they were talking about... Um, I think it was a, I think it was Denmark maybe who had, oh, I think it was, I think it was an investing podcast I listened to called invested. And, um, and they were talking about Denmark, which, which the government, instead of, instead of giving, um, like instead of giving the, the checks that we got, um, for CERB in Canada and the stimulus check, the $1,200 ones that they got in the U S, um, instead they put all that money into, uh, backstopping, uh, payroll for companies so that companies didn't have to lay off w- their workforce. So, and in the and in in that country, I believe it was Denmark. They used it as an example. So the unemployment doesn't rise nearly as much because a bunch of the a bunch of the the country's employees were ba- had backstop payroll from the government. And so, in that way, they also. C- and, and the reason why that would have been really helpful in the U.S. is because a lot of people's health care is tied to their jobs. So people lose their jobs and they don't have health care. Then they get COVID and then they got huge bills. And if, it, if, some, if money had, been gone, go, had went to backstopping payroll and keeping, from, keeping people on payroll instead of filing for unemployment, there's like thousands if not millions of people who, who are now without health care benefits getting covid and then having no health care coverage to pay for it which is fucking crazy but even at the best of times <laughs> in the u.s the insurance yeah is the problem at the yeah. best of times which yeah. it now isn't i saw this tweet today that made me laugh it was like today i i almost panicked and then i remembered that i got twelve hundred dollars three months ago yeah right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i and i do want to say that i do want to say that referenced in this in what i was listening to the issue was brought up with the size of a country like denmark versus the size of a country like the united states but it was it was shown that um relative to their gdp it was a similar it was a similar spend relative to denmark's gdp that the u.s has spent relative to the u.s's gdp which means that theoretically it would have been possible for the U.S. to do something like that. Obviously, everyone thinks, you know, politics and everything plays a massive role in this, and it's not like you can just carbon copy somebody else's policies. But um, anyway, it was a really interesting thing in terms of people getting stuck with bills. One of the things that I think is really – sorry, Lauren, were you going to say something I was just going to say that an odyssey is a long and eventful journey. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the healthcare odyssey. <laughs> before we, before yeah, we is, get is emails, that what, is that what Yeah, I read it. it's a it's a book by, by Homer, or not a book, but it's like a traditional Greek epic poem. I yeah, had to wait, read it I, in high school. Right. I'm a, oh, I'm his healthcare. I knew that, but is right. that is that Homer's uh, Odyssey? Yeah. His so it was referring to his healthcare journal. Journey. That, his healthcare journey. That's right. Yeah. Maybe journal. Reading it, it reading it, it seemed like. Like there's a thing called the healthcare odyssey in in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's yeah. but that that makes a lot more sense. The, I the, thought it was a typo for auditor. <laughs> no. yeah. um, I, I was looking at some some stats that uh, that are really interesting, and uh, I guess we can take from what we want. But but they're so like looking at flattening the curve over the last like uh, sixty days, 
and comparing uh, different countries and oh, how dude. well they've done, US you can really, bad. you can really see um, how almost like the the uh, the rhetoric that's coming out of the countries kind of um, is re- almost represented directly by what's happening in the curves. So, like looking at Canada. You know, we're saying like we got to flatten the curve, and everybody's like getting behind that idea. And then you look at the curve, and it's like, oh yeah, shit! Like that looked like it was going to trend up, and then all of a sudden it like plateaued, and now it's going down. And then you look at like other countries, you know, Germany, places places like that that have kind of had similar, um, again, rhetoric in, in from their public health officials. Same thing. Then you look at Sweden, for example, where you know for a long time people were saying. Oh, look at Sweden, man. They're not even shutting down like and and they're doing fine. Like they're totally okay. You look at their curve and it's like still trending up. So mm. it was at at the point like, you know, 30 days ago, 60 days ago, people were like, "Man, look, we don't have anything to worry about. Sweden's doing totally fine. They haven't shut anything down." It's like, "Yeah, well their fucking curve is still trending upwards." Then you look at the United States. And it's just a mess. It's a well, mess, speaking so. of rhetoric, it is important. But there, the Washington Post today reported that places in the U.S. where Sean Hannity's um, viewership is the biggest got hit harder by COVID. And Sean Hannity's like oh, no. this concern. Yes, they really? found that. T- the Washington Post reported it. The they, fact like, that they, fake the, news. The, the fact that this is be- <laughs> like the the fact that the wishwashy post. The, the, the fact failing that, business the fact that this has become politicized is like is having an effect on my mental health like it's but so, i mean there's no so, way there's no way for it to be for it to be not it has to be no it really doesn't have to be it's, yeah, it's like it doesn't have to be it's, no it no, doesn't no, have to be that, it that, doesn't have to be it, it like it does not, way, yeah it does but not it, have yeah, to be it absolutely a, does because there's a, there, because it requires a response from political re- leaders, which will lead to either criticism or praise, which will lead to politicization. Because you have to either think sure, that someone did yeah, well sure, or poorly, but like to a to a degree, Taylor, to a degree. What like the the amount that it's become politicized in the U.S. is fucking yeah, of course, absurd. Of course. It is, but fu- that's it because is the, fucking but that's because the U.S. the sequel. And 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 like we are living That's because it. the U.S. is a sideshow to begin with. Oh, anyway, coming back to floor, uh, he was in a he was in the Swedish medical center in Issaquah uh, in, with COVID-19 for 62 days. That's a, that's a long time to be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, he was yeah. unconscious for much of his stay. But once this is so crazy that he thought and and or said this. But once near the beginning. But once near the beginning, his wife. Elza del Rosario remembers him waking up and saying, you got to get me out of here. We can't afford this. Just the charge for his room in the intensive care unit was billed for $9,736 per day. Whoa. $9,736 a day. Dude, that's like like $100,000 Canadian dollars. Dude, he must have been getting like crazy... What's that stuff called? Wagyu beef, like that, that like that massaged like <laughs> yeah, Japanese Kobe. steak, Kobe beef, um, and like massages on his on his feet. Due to co- <laughs> due to the contagious nature of the virus, the room was sealed and could only be entered by medical workers wearing plastic suits and headgear. Can huh. you imagine that's, waking that's up in a place and someone going, um, "Hey, just so you know, like you've been you've been unconscious <laughs> and you wake up somewhere and they go." 
Yeah. So just so you know, um, you've been here for uh, you've been here for long enough to charge you a million dollars, dude. For, for so for forty two days, he was in the he was in this isolation chamber for forty two days for a total of four hundred eight thousand nine hundred twelve dollars. He was also on a, on a, a ventilator for twenty nine days with the use of the machine billed at two thousand eight hundred thirty five dollars per day for a total of eighty two thousand two hundred and fifteen dollars. About a quarter of the bills, uh, about a quarter of the bill is drug costs. That's man, like that is. Dude, that's crazy, man. Now, he, I, I, I do. I, th- I think it's. I probably should say this because I don't think I mentioned it. But the bill technically, um, he has insurance, including Medicare, so he won't have to pay the mass, ma- the vast majority of it. In fact, because he had COVID nineteen and not a different disease, he might not have to pay anything. A quirk of the situation that uh, I guess the. Hmm. the author of this article gets into a little bit later but just still like it's just mind mind-boggling can you imagine can you imagine like can you imagine the feeling you would get after the elation you would feel of being that old coming out of the hospital being like i did it and then the the like gut-wrenching feeling of opening a letter that oh you receive God. in the mail that 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 is 181 pages long. So I guess not a letter, a, a fucking a a novel. And the Odyssey. Uh, yeah, the yeah, Odyssey. The Odyssey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And at the end of it, it says you owe us you owe us 1.1 million dollars. There's a there's actually a there's actually a there's quite a few sections in both the Iliad and the Odyssey that are con- where where uh, more so the Iliad where they go into. Um, they're they're about to enter battle, and there's like pages upon pages upon pages of of just yeah. just naming the names and the line the family lineage of this of the of the warriors that are that that engage in battle, and so it, it's just like long 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 superfluous lists of in of the Iliad. People. It's like thir- they're like at the start. There's like thirty pages of it's it. It's insane, like literally. It's insane, <laughs> and I'm imagining that in this uh, healthcare odyssey, he's just like there's just there's just like. Remdesivir, <laughs> like there's like right, like yeah. na- like lists yeah. and lists of all the medications and yeah. the the family lineages of the medications and the doctors that <laughs> like all the history of the medications and 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 also uh, it's two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, fuck, I would I would definitely I would definitely frame that book, you know, like I would frame that bill, like that is that is that yeah. is something to hold on to and to and to show, you know, your 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 grandkids and have your grandkids show their kid like that's just a fight that's a crazy yeah. piece of i mean those stories those phone. stories they make you uh they make you really stoked that uh they make you really stoked to be canadian even though and even though i am i have been i have been like the least burdensome on on our healthcare system like i am probably in the like 99 percentile of the least burdensome Canadians. Okay, on the yeah. Well, you system. don't have to rub it in. It, just because I just because I am doesn't mean that whatever. But but, but that's what I mean. It's actually a perfect it's a me? perfect juxtaposition between you and I. But I am still stoked to be Canadian and uh. to and and fine to pay the taxes that go into like even like that that help you because like in essence I pay f- for you to be healthy for you to be taken care of. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and when you get hit, that. and when you get hit by a car, that's right. You've you're also paying paid for me. You've yeah, and you've also <laughs> paid for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I'm stoked about that. Yeah, 
Did you guys uh, to switch things up and and go and switch over to some Canadian news? Did you guys hear about the uh, the federal government's offering students a thousand dollars for every hundred hours of COVID nineteen volunteer work they do? Yeah, they na- that was today. It wasn't that today that Justin Trudeau yeah, announced today. that. So how does that work? Yeah. So it's like you volunteer, but it's but it's COVID based volunteer work. So like. You volunteer say, it's called at a, a job. Yeah. Internship, but it's like I guess podcast. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, they're not they're not paying in good robot dollars. <laughs> oh lord, <laughs> this is real money. So, yeah, so they what, just what, give you money for your local brewery. Like, what would yeah. that be? That would be like like you work at a shelter and like you do some volunteer work at a shelter or something, and then and then depending on the amount of hours that you volunteer over the summer, you can you get like a grant. Is that how that works? Yeah, I'm just reading through right now, actually. I think that's how it works. I watched him uh, address the nation today, and that's basically what it sounded like. <laughs> so um, they, they, they can get up to... The grant itself is admini- administered, administ- administered through We Charity, and, and uh, they're giving up to $5,000 for up to 500 hours of volunteer work done. So Is that uh, um, Kilberger's thing? I, I think it's part of... Um, what is what is it called? Uh, Wee Day, Wee Day, yeah, yeah. Which was started by <clears throat> Craig Kilberg originally started Free the Children. So um, the the volunteer work it, it has to be done by students. So you have to be enrolled in uh, university for post secondary education for uh, the fall semester. But yeah, mm. it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting that they're doing that. Obviously, because um, students a lot of students weren't were not eligible for any of the financial assistance that was being provided by the government up until this point. Right. And then, and then on top of that, there's like far less opportunity for them to actually make income over the summer to pay for their their next year of university, which will also cost more than it did this year. If you go to any of the Nova Scotia universities, because for some fucking crazy reason, all of the universities here in Nova Scotia have increased their tuition, yet they're not even requiring students to go to school because they can do it all from home. I don't it's understand you know what? at and the all. Provision, and the provision that you have to be enrolled in the fall might even be problematic because I'm sure a lot of students might not be enrolled because they don't have money. So it's mm-hmm. this catch-22 where they might not be able to take advantage of it. So I, I don't know. Or you just enroll and then, uh, and then withdraw. At the start of the semester, after you get your volunteer money, I'm not saying. And then you're I'm not pro- saying do that. <laughs> Rolling in dough, baby. You guys know that. Uh, you guys remember that show about the the ducks, and they had all the money, and uh, in the in the yeah. opening in the opening Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, Scrooge McDuck, <laughs> and in the opening scene when he dives off the diving board into a pool of yes, coins. I love yeah. that. That's you, students. Sure. That could be you. <laughs> that could um, be you just rolling in money. Well, this is uh, this week's conversation that we're throwing to for Feel Good Friday. Is it's a doozy? Uh, it's it's like a, pretty much almost a full episode. Uh, we speak to Crystal Watson, and she is the executive director of Recreation Nova Scotia. Uh, she's also and, and and Crystal goes into this. She's also an emerging scholar, um, but doing work with Healthy Populations Institute at Dalhousie, which is co-led by. Our uh, our friend, Dr. Ingrid Waldron, who we've had on the show recently. And Dr. Ingrid Waldron started this initiative, and there's, uh, or at least as the co-lead, and there's a bunch of scholars that are working together uh, with, with Dr. Waldron 
to basically make Nova Scotia a healthier place for the black community. And so uh, Crystal Watson is a, is a recreational therapist. She's the first uh, African, uh, recreational therapist of, ac- of African descent here in Nova Scotia. And we talked to her about what recreational therapy is, uh, but more so, uh, a bit deeper into the conversation, we talk about the importance of recreational therapy and the lack of services for recreational therapy and understanding of recreational therapy for uh, the black population here in Nova Scotia. Really eye-opening conversation, and of course, especially right now in the time that we are in um, with the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement and all the work that's being done to uh, to educate ourselves on on the importance of that kind of work. Uh, this is a conversation that really, really stuck out for us. So uh, I want to say thank you to Dr. Ingrid Waldron for setting this up um, and allowing us to uh, take some of Crystal's time to, to kind of talk about the work that she does. And I hope that you take the time to listen because it's a really important conversation. Uh, and we will be back on the other side of this. Uh, well, hello. We are sitting here with our, our new friend, uh, Crystal Watson, who is the executive director of Recreation of Scotia. And I think today we're going to be talking all about the world of recreation, which I'm, I'm excited to dive into. Uh, but you have another, you have another uh, title here, so, <laughs> and I'm hoping you can give me some clarity. So you're an emerging scholar, mm-hmm. uh, uh, maybe someday a, a, a co-lead in the Healthy Populations Institute at Dalhousie and a graduate research fellow with the Delmore Buddy Day Learning Institute. Okay, so <laughs> what is what is a first of all an emerging scholar? I'm I'm assuming that you're you're working towards your your PhD or correct? Okay, sweet. Yeah. All right. What's a fellow? What? How does a fellowship work? Or what a fellow? Well, I would say that really it just means that I'm associated <laughs> with this particular um, group of folks, and it just means that I got. A scholarship through them to do some research. Oh, um, okay, okay. Really, it's just really aligned with my my research, and it's a nice title. <laughs> like <it's laughs> every really, time I hear every time it, I hear fellowship, I think of Lord of the Rings. It's a, I know, it's a, yeah. It's a, yeah. it's an unfortunate association that I can't get rid of. <laughs> yeah, it's like being a part. Like you know, you're on this particular journey together. So there's mm-hmm. a there's a couple of us that are graduate research fellows with DBDLI. So. Yeah. It's a cool. It's a cool title, fellow. Yeah. fellow. And in, in that case, in the Lord, in the case of Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings, like they're just a, a group of people on a journey together. So it is kind oh, of, yeah. you know, it's right. kind of appropriate. Trying yeah. to accomplish totally. a goal. Yeah, exactly. I want to. Um, I want to just throw back though a little bit to to within that that uh, that title, uh, the the emerging scholar within the Healthy Populations Institute mm-hmm. at Dalhousie University. So the way this came to be, this conversation is. Uh, a number of weeks back, we had a, a conversation with Dr. Ingrid Waldron mm-hmm. all about uh, environmental racism and in particular talking about here in, in Nova Scotia. And after that exchange, she she sent us an email um, telling us about how she is the the co-lead for the Healthy Populations Institute flagship 
um, that at Dalhousie University. And the whole point of that is to improve the health outcomes for people of African descent here in Nova Scotia. Correct. And and within that email, she also shared a number of the people that are, were involved with this initiative. Mm-hmm. And you were you were on the top of that list. Um, and of course, the the fact that your your background is in recreational therapy, something that we haven't covered yet. Uh, we were really excited to to talk to you. That's pretty cool. Um, so I guess I guess we'll first start off with uh, uh, what is what is recreation therapy. So um, you can't talk about recreation therapy without talking about recreation. So uh, recreation is pretty much anything that you do outside of work. It could be you know something that's sport related. It could be arts. It could be um, you're out for a hike. So engaging in some outdoor recreation activities. Uh, so yeah, it just it just spans the gamut, and and I say that because a lot of people tend to uh, associate recreation therapy with anything that's physically active, and and it doesn't necessarily have to be. So I'm like an avid reader, so I just love books. So I would consider that as part of my my recreation and leisure repertoire. It's the first thing that my mind went to. It's like recreation well, therapy. Oh, she must. She must know how to teach soccer really well. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. I wish. But like, you know, you like you can engage in all of these different activities. Um, and so the what sets apart recreation therapy from uh, other disciplines is that that is our primary mode to support people in getting back to wellness. So um, I worked in uh, a number of different areas in the clinical setting. So in long-term care, in rehab, in neurosurgery. And the basis of everything that I did was to be able to use a recreation and leisure opportunity, whether it was um, an activity that they previously enjoyed or something new to get them back to being well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, That's, yeah. I find that so fascinating because um, I've always been a person who's subscribed to the idea that that recreation is therapeutic, mm-hmm. but until this conversation now, I had no idea that there was actually mm-hmm. um, a an area of, of of I didn't know that recreation therapy was a thing. Yeah, it's and when it's, you think of it's wonderful, like uh, to, to have that opportunity to be able to to see people get back into uh, activity again, particularly after they may have lost hope that they wouldn't be able to. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite amazing. Actually. And when you think when you think about uh, it's one of those it's one of those things that that you've you might have never you might have never had that occur to you. But then as soon as it's said, you go, yeah, it's like you're, you're kind of like, you know, you mm-hmm. bonk yourself on the head and say, oh, yeah, Brian, I know that I know that um, I speak for you as well, Brian, when I say that that we both both grew up as athletes and like sport and physical activity in particular was, was a really, really big part of our lives. And then, and then there was a, there was a period in both of our lives where it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And the shift, the, 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 the shift that we didn't really recognize until we got back into physical activity and, 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 and paying attention to the recreational side and, and kind of putting aside, I guess, the competitive aspect that would have been associated with that physical activity at a younger age mm-hmm. um, and getting back into understanding, like it really highlighted how, how massively therapeutic it was for our mental health, mm. um, for our physical health. I think that's more, ob- that's more obvious, but the mental health side of things was, a, was a really big, was a really big thing that, that I noticed. And I know that Brian, you've spoken to that a lot Absolutely, um, yeah. and that, 
I mean, again, like one of those things, you kind of bonk yourself in the head and you go, of course, of course, it's so therapeutic. Yeah. And it's, it's quite fascinating that um, it's only been recently, like, so I would say within the last 10 or 15 years that folks have started to pay attention to athletes once they retire or even young athletes that, you know, have stopped playing what's going to happen after, because that's been such an important and critical part of their everyday life, that organized sport. Mm -hmm. Uh, So how do we transition them into uh, engaging in opportunities where they can still, um, you know, maybe not compete at such such an elite level, but still get that same feeling or still, you know, be able to socialize with, with individuals and, have that team-based experience, whatever that was that they participated in that particular sport for, how do we get them to uh, still maintain that interest level? Um, So yeah, transition has only been in the research literature for the last few years, I would say. For, for, For me, the, like the physical, you know, taking part in a physical exercise, um, the, the, therapeutic benefits of that are a little bit more obvious to me than, you know, for example, reading or mm-hmm. uh, say knitting or something that is more um, that, that you're not actually being physically active doing. What are the what are the benefits of, of doing something for recreational purposes that isn't physically active? So it's funny because it, it, you'll you'll find that in a lot of different activities, there are some, um, I guess, some interconnections. Um, but it's funny that you brought up uh, knitting, for example. Um, so even though it's an arts-based activity, there's some a lot of cognitive stuff that's involved in that. So uh, folks just won't sit there and they'll just knit, knit, knit. They'll knit a pattern. And so there's... I- you know, some pieces yeah. to the mm-hmm. pattern there. Um, I imagine it's very like meditative, which is why I brought it up. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it yeah. reminds me of like sitting and meditating. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people will use it for focus, um, but also the fine motor skills, right? Yeah. Using those needles and stuff like that. So you may see um, individuals uh, or recreation therapists using knitting with folks who may have some dexterity issues, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, like it, and it, we really have to, think about those particular activities and break them down into their component parts so that we understand, okay, so why are we using this activity? Because it's just, it's really not as willy nilly as people think. Um, (laughs) There's some um, very much intention that's involved in that. It's, it's, yeah, which is kind of like when you think about every, everything there's the, like mm-hmm. like something you know, it's like, I mean, talking about sports, sometimes I'll, I'll be watching like curling and I'll go, that looks really easy, <laughs> and, then, and then and then you try it, and you're like, "Whoa, this this is really and then, not, and, then you're, and then you're Brian, and you talk to somebody at a party <laughs> who is a who, unbeknownst to Brian, is like an Olympic curler, and Brian goes, "I think I'm going to be on the. I think I'm going to try to be on the next Olympic curling team, not the and, next one." And, 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 and I the, stand and by that, that and the person's forever. going, "Yeah, I doubt it. Someday <laughs> down the road, I will be an Olympic curler." Uh, uh, Crystal, yeah. I'm I, I'm really I'm really curious to know uh, what like why recreation therapy what 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 led you to that path in life it was a fluke like I didn't know (laughs) anything about recreation therapy at all I was working um in the community I had I would say I've just come off a mat not yeah mat leave gosh and 
Um, so I was working in the community with individuals with disabilities and uh, happened to work with a great team of folks that were, um, I guess, focused on not only the making sure that they had um, the skills to do their activities of daily living, but what can they do outside of that? Like, you know, where can we take them so that they could have some fun? And uh, what we discovered was that the recreation opportunities in the immediate community, they weren't going to meet the needs. There wasn't a way to adapt them for for them to be able to participate. And so, of course, me being a lifelong learner, I got curious and I was like, OK, well, I'm going to try and talk to some of the, the rec folks that I know. And a particular mentor of mine um, encouraged me to go work uh, summer day camps. And I was like, oh, OK, great. This sounds like fun. Um, and so I did that for a couple of summers and ended up doing some after school programs in the community just to learn a little bit more. And then they said, well, you know, you can do a degree in this. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> a degree in recreation. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Cause I have my sights set on like psychology or social work or something mm-hmm. like that. I'd never heard of recreation or degree in it. And I was like, okay. So I applied, I got accepted into Dow and, um, I just, you know, started learning a little bit more about recreation, the whole theory behind it. And then I did a program with older adults in long-term care. And I was like, this is amazing. Like this, just the positive response. They were so excited that someone mm. even paid attention to them. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to do recreation management. I'm going to go into rec therapy and the rest is history. Sick Boy Podcast will be right back after this word from our sponsors. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. The Dose from CBC Podcasts is a new weekly health podcast hosted by Dr. Brian Goldman that cuts through the confusion as we live through a global pandemic. Each week, top experts answer your most pressing questions about the coronavirus and other health topics, providing the latest evidence in a way that's easy to understand. It's your guide to getting through this difficult time. You can subscribe to The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, I'm, cur- I'm curious about um, t- like touching on like you know the 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 theory that is behind the theory that is behind rec therapy and touching on on something that you said Brian there in terms of meditation um uh all three of us have a background in in uh like a pretty extensive background in yoga and mm-hmm. uh and teaching yoga um and 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 then what comes with that is a lot of uh experience with meditation and the theory behind meditation so one of the things that has kind of always broadly um sort of uh sort of uh, just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of just rub me the wrong way about the understanding of meditation and how it's sort of propagated is that it's this like sit still, think mm-hmm. of nothing sort of thing. Um, and which seems to me from the average person is fairly inaccessible. Um, 
Whereas I have always seen right now as a, as a 30 year old in hindsight, didn't see it at the time really, that all the physical activities that I did, and in particular, I go back to some of the arts classes that I did in, in high school where I would where similar to knitting, I would like, I would, I would do a brace, I would make bracelets and, and just, and this, the therapeutic meditative nature of that, that meditation isn't, instead of thinking of it as a as a, I'm sitting here thinking of nothing or, um, and I have to have my legs crossed and I have to be a certain flexibility or whatever is more so that my attention is only on this one thing. And it is because of the, the pat, maybe it's the pattern in the knitting or the bracelet making, or it is the, the pattern or the structure of a game that you're playing with other people or by yourself. Um, or it's the sound that gets produced. I bike a lot. The sound of my tires on the road is something that is just like, it's constantly keeping me in the present moment. And then, so that ends up being a meditation for Mm -hmm. me. And I assign that as meditation. I think that it's a, I think it's a more accessible form or explanation of meditation is what is the, or is there, is there any, is there any of that within rec, rec therapy where you're looking at the, the effects of keeping your attention on a singular thing for a, for a prolonged period of time? Well, we would call that flow actually, mm-hmm. where, um, the, the level of skill that you have and the challenge that's associated with the activity gets you into such a space where nothing else matters. Like you're just in the zone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of meditation, I would think that that uh, aligns most with, you know, mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Like, so this, this name that we, we kind of dwell on is, is Mahali, Chicksent Mahali. He's the guy that kind of created that whole theory around flow. So, but I think that there's, there's so many different theories that people will uh, use to guide their work, whether it's Mm -hmm. um, something related to um, positivity, uh, making sure that things are strength-based, which is a a huge piece in recreation therapy, or uh, sometimes the medical model is used depending on the, the, the space where you're working. Um, Mm Uh, so there's lots of different influences that folks will ascribe to when they're when they're doing the work. Uh, but what we want to see is those particular individuals that are engaged in recreation, theory aside, just make sure that they that they're in a space where they are so comfortable mm. engaging in that particular activity that it starts to become kind of second nature for them and and they can block out all of the other things that are happening around them so that they mm-hmm. can you know progress towards better health mm-hmm. my uh it reminds me of my my girlfriend and i uh teach yoga to people who live with intellectual disabilities <laughs> disabilities mm-hmm. and um one of the pillars of of the practice that we've developed for them is is fun mm. and i'm curious what role uh, fun plays in recreation therapy? Well, if people aren't having fun, like, are you really recreating? Yeah. Uh, right. Do you know? Like, yeah, it, yeah. It, it becomes I'm, work I'm knitting, then, I'm right? Kni- I hate knitting. Right. Like, they just, they this, just keep making me knit. on needle isn't yeah. going it. Yeah, like, nobody wants to feel that way, right? So, yeah, like, I think um, fun is one of the core principles of recreation. Like, even, like, it doesn't matter what kind of, of activity that you're engaging in. The idea is that f- is for you to have fun. They're for you to 
um, experience a sense of joy and accomplishment and all of those things that happen in in that particular space. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's a it's a major pillar. I think sometimes we undervalue that though too, and and you know to use the the contrast of the uh, uh, community of people with, living with intellectual disabilities versus. Um, you know, somebody who might be the average type of person to walk in or stereotypical type of person to walk mm-hmm. into a yoga studio. Um, somebody who's going into a yoga studio, fun might not be their number one priority mm-hmm. of being there. It might be exercise or fitness, or it might be um, for the meditation or mental health uh, aspects of it. But I, I feel like as we, you know, get older, fun becomes less of a priority. However, you know, I think that there is an immensely powerful uh, uh, therapeutic element of having fun and enjoying what you're doing. So I think sometimes it's overlooked. So I, I, I was really curious about how, you know, like what the focus is in rec therapy and in, in promoting the idea that these activities should be fun. Mm-hmm. I think I, I would go back to say to that, you know, we live in a society where we socially construct everything, right? So however we define fun is is personal to us, right? right. Um, and so I think we need to, to be very um, mindful that fun is going to be um, determined by, like, what's fun to me is probably not going to be fun to you, Brian. Like, let's, <laughs> let's just say it. Like, I, I love cleaning the house. That's fun to me. You might not, right? It's not fun for me. Right. So it's uh, really fun. It's really fun after you smoke a joint. You know, it's like <laughs> you get high and you're like, I can, I, I'm going to clean the whole house. You know? See, I identify would, with I would, that. I, I, I tend to agree with you. Funny or inspired. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think, you know, all of those different pieces kind of um, flow into that. But I, I think, like, however we define fun, I think there still has to be some level of joy in that. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to be doing it for some reason that makes you feel happy, that Mm -hmm. makes you feel satisfied. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, because otherwise, like what, like, why are you doing it? And, you know, will you stick with it? Exactly. Like there's just so many different pieces. And that's why we always talk in, in recreation, how complex those particular pieces are. Right. Um particularly in recreation therapy, how it's so important for us to really understand, to understand folks' motivations for mm. participating in a particular activity. Because if they're, if we don't align with their motivations, then just like you said, Taylor, they're probably not going to stay and they're probably not going to, to stick it out to see some results of whatever that might be. Mm. How do you go about, how do you go about trying to, because it is, because, you know, we have these things that we that we really broadly or generally categorize as fun for like big numbers of people, and they usually foc- and a lot of it focuses around sports. Mm-hmm. But but it is so individual, you know, especially when some of these more common things just don't fit. Like people just don't fit into the mold of these really common things. How what what is the how do you, how do you how do you delve down into that and figure out you know what is what is the thing that 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 keeps that that piques this person's interest mm-hmm. and allows them allows them to feel like <laughs> this is something worth this is something worth doing this is something worth putting my time into and coming back to mm-hmm. you know day in and day out yeah just like every other health professional um we have to do an assessment 
Um, and so we try and figure out all of those little intersecting pieces that might be happening in that person's life, particularly around their leisure, you know, uh, so why do you do these things? Like, who do you do these things with? Because that's the other piece too. Like someone might be participating in something simply because their, their partner or their kid is doing it. Um, and so really trying to understand all of those various complexities. And then, you know, um, we also have to be realistic in that, you know, sometimes there are activities that they used to do that they might not be able to do anymore or that needs some significant modification to in order for them to be able to participate in successfully. So the more information that we're able to get out of them with respect to their needs and their interests, um, while also taking into consideration all of the things that might be happening in their life, the, the I won't say the easier, but it is easier for us to try and uh, figure out what those next steps are for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm wondering. You know, like we're 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 here talking about recreation and and Brian and Taylor. Uh, you know, now that we have like a pretty solid idea of what recreation is, I think the three of us like have our own our own sort of past experiences with recreation and and how we relate to recreation. Um, but I, one thing that I've noticed, especially in the last few weeks um, during this like huge civil rights movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the guys, we've been having conversations about this, you know, off air about um, these blind spots that we have as as white males walking through the world with our own perspectives. Right. Um, I'm wondering what like what are some. How do how does how does recreation differ in within the the black community or or how have you noticed it differ in the black community? Is there like does, does is recreation defined differently culturally? You know, like is are there, are there things that we might not be considering um, about the the world that you work in because we've just never been in those shoes? Yeah. Um... And it's a very interesting topic because particularly in my current position right now, one of the major things that we've been talking about is access, right? Mm, Um, mm -hmm. And how equity plays a role in recreation because there's lots of different activities, spaces, places that haven't always been accessible to the black community, right? Right. right. Um, Whether it's because of location or whether it's because of um, uh, sometimes the, the folks that are providing and, and, and facilitating those opportunities, there's, there's always been a, some sort of a disconnect um, where, uh, I guess, historically in the Black community, particularly here in, in, in Nova Scotia, we've had to create those opportunities for ourselves because mm. there's always been some kind of barrier for us to... Um, in terms of our participation in some of those mainstream type activities, and so would, would this fall yeah. under that that idea of social determinants of health, like which is which is something that we talked to Dr. Ingrid Waldron yeah. about uh, at length? But like, would, is that what you mean by by lacking access to certain spaces? Like, yeah, like whatever, like you know, the social determinants of health they take into consideration, you know. Um, where where your community is, you know, your food security, all of those different pieces. And so I would definitely 
associate recreation access or social supports or mm. all under that particular umbrella because those are the places where you connect with your community, right? Mm -hmm. It's in it's in recreation quite often is where those particular relationships um, develop. And so uh, for the most part, we uh, I would say there's been a lot of silos when it comes to engaging in recreation to the point where, okay, well, um, maybe I'll go to a park, but, you know, uh, I might get there and there's a lot of white people there and I don't feel comfortable and those sorts of things. And, and it, it happens a lot. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, and I think now we're starting to recognize that those particular um, conversations need to be had mm. uh, so that we can create places where everybody can feel welcome um, mm. and participate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you just saying that just just brings up that thought of that that woman in in where was it Central Park? You know, and the, the, yeah. the black guy, yeah. the yeah. black guys out oh birding. You know, which is yeah. a, a, definitely recreational therapy, absolutely in, in a lot of people's eyes, yeah. and uh, and just minding his own business. And then you know this this white woman like basically threatening his life um, mm -hmm. just because just because they're sharing the same space. So mm -hmm. that really and on, the and on the flip side of that and something that I've just to because you said um, you said something there, Crystal, that that really <laughs> kind of spoke to me in terms of and something that we've been having the conversations about is that is that is is a black person coming into a coming like maybe going over to the space where there's all these white people and they don't feel comfortable and and that. And that even though that that breaks my heart and I'm and I feel like I'm doing nothing, I'm doing nothing in the moment to cause that it's present nonetheless mm -hmm. because of because of, you know, like all this all this other mountain of stuff that is, you know, is kind of baked in mm -hmm. and and the unfortunate circumstance that that provides. And then and then you've got the, the circumstance of the person like the, the lady in the park who's you know, being overtly, um, yeah. you know, overtly racist and, and how, and how like the, I guess, I guess the, the, the weight of the weight of thinking of that and going, because I, I feel like one of the biggest, one of the biggest questions that I've been asking myself in the last few weeks is like, this seems so, is so, so deeply seated. Where do you begin? Like, where do you start? Well, yeah. I mean, speaking yeah. of that, like what's, I, the, I'm, I'm assuming that this is part of the work and, and the conversations that are happening at the, the Healthy Populations Institute at Dalhousie and the work that you're doing. What, like, what, what are some things that can be done from, from an institute like that to provide, to provide facilities, to provide spaces that feel more, feel more welcome or are more inclusionary? Mm -hmm. Is is there work being done to do that right now, and what and what does that work look like? Yeah, well, I think in the in, from the Healthy Populations Institute, I think it gives us an opportunity to really explore some of those inequities, right, that exist across the spectrum of the social determinants of health. Mm. In the recreation world, we're seeing a lot more um, groups, uh, I guess reflect and become a little bit more aware of the fact that they're missing folks mm. when it comes to 
the the recreation opportunities that they're providing. And so um, just recently, like I don't know if you follow um, the Surfing Association of Nova Scotia. They just started right. like last year uh, a surfing program for, for Black youth. And, and I think mm. it extends to anybody who's interested in surfing because there, there's just so few Black people in Nova Scotia that took up surfing as a recreation activity. Mm-hmm. Um, the same with paddling and canoe kayaking, those, those types of things. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, hiking uh, has become like a, a big uh, thing in, in certain parts of the African Nova Scotian community where there's some different groups that are starting up. And so I think there's a, a little bit more... Um, focus being placed on trying to ensure that groups aren't um, focusing in on the same people that they that have been participating in their activities over time it's time Mm. now to reach Mm. out and provide space for those folks and and really open yourselves up to understanding why these particular activities haven't been um, accessed before whether it's because of money or whether it's because when I walk into that space, you look at me like I have 10 heads or, um, you know, just again, geography and location and all of those, mm. those kinds of things that become barriers for people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that barrier to entry is, is, is something that really sticks out to me, like or, or recognizing what mm. the barrier to entry is yeah. and that, and that you're, you are aware of that, you know, because you can say something simple like oh hiking and it's like that seems like that seems crazy accessible but if you mm-hmm. live if you live in uh like i, I live i live i live in the north end of halifax it's like mm-hmm. well if you live in the north end and you've got zero access to a car and you uh, what whatever like you can't hiking is a far off mm. possibility yeah, good luck and, getting a musket hobbit to do right. that yeah. you know what i mean but yeah. it sounds yeah. but like the word hiking it's like are you just <laughs> walking in the woods it's like well i can't get to the woods yeah, <laughs> yeah. and sometimes yeah. we just don't think about that it's really simple that really simple barrier to entry mm-hmm. um even for something as simple as like you know hiking for example yeah and everything's all connected too right like so um the way we provide recreation and leisure opportunities throughout the city is going to be very much connected to our active transportation systems, like mm-hmm. all of those pieces, right? I mean, there's some folks that can't afford a bike, mm, you know? Right. So mm-hmm. how can we create opportunities where we can set those things up for, for, for young people or adults um, to be able to do that? And, I mean, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you you are, and and this is kind of like throwing things back a little bit, but I, but I want to kind of stay in this lane. You you are uh, the the first person, the first black person who who has has become a recreational therapist in Nova Scotia. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, so so yeah. with that then, with that lens, <laughs> that like, pressure. Yeah, well, yeah. Like <laughs> when you came in, when you came onto the scene, were were you like? You know, were you looking around going, holy fuck, guys, the work that needs to be done here is is astounding or or, you know, or did you already know that that's that's what you were coming into? It's funny because um, simply because of my upbringing, you just know that there's there's a lot of inequities. You don't know maybe how to describe them. Um, Mm. But I also, you know, am firmly aware that the instruction that I received, the theories that I was taught, the, the methods for, through which that I was um, 
expected to deliver was through a very Eurocentric lens, right? Oh, even mm-hmm. through even through your even schooling, through like school, even through like oh, wow, that yeah. that that's the foundation that I mm. come out on. And mm-hmm. so I'm you're kind of like in two worlds, like you're 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 a, a person of African descent and you're you're the expectation is for you to thrust that Eurocentric kind of approach on everything, right? Mm. And you know, well, it doesn't fit me very well. Like I'm kind of right. like going up against it quite a bit, but right. then to think about what that looks like in, in the context of my own community is challenging too. So I can understand why these things exist, but now it's time to dismantle them. Right. Mm. There's, a, there's a, something that was coming up for me the other day a lot. Cause I've been, because, um, because o- over the last few weeks, um, I, the word, the word, the word racism, it, it evokes in me, like racism to me has always been, has always been, this is kind of like a little revelation I had the other day talking to Jeremy and Brian <clears throat> was that racism to me was always this intentional, intentionally harmful. Like I know what I'm doing and, and I'm doing it on purpose and I want it to hurt. And, and that was always the lens through which I thought about racism. And when I heard the word racist or racism, that's the, that was the connotation to me and coming around to the, like how you were talking about the education system and like how, how that, how that comes to you. And it's, it's not the person that, it's not the person that put that curriculum together that was intentionally harmful. And it's not the person before them and it's not the person before them, but at some point it's like a, it's like a collection of, it's, it's just a collection in that, like that, like layering on top of it where then it is. Mm -hmm. And then it perpetuates like you said, like, you know, dismantling it is is sort of where, where we're at now Mm -hmm. to build something that actually to, to build a, a, an education system for, you know, um, rec therapy and any other academic discipline Mm -hmm. that, that is, that is taking into consideration everybody and everything. And that's like that to me, that was like, that was like three days ago. It just kind of like totally flipped. Um, and I just kind of really heard that in, in, what you were saying there. I I think of like what a challenge it must must be because like the way I kind of see it, there's like three levels. Like there's the first level, which is, you know, an example would be like accessibility. Like it's the tangible things that you can do in rec therapy now to, to provide those services for the people who need it. But then there's like that second layer, which is like dismantling at the core, what it means to actually, what rec therapy actually means and make it more inclusive. But then there's even like outside of the scope of that, it's like the fact that the racism still just exists in like people are, are racist and like how like we need to relearn, you know, like especially as like three three white guys, we need to relearn the way that we've been brought up because that dismantling doesn't just need to be done in rec therapy. It needs to be done in in all systems that exist in society Ooh. today. So it's, it's like all of a sudden, like, you know, again, like I, I kind of, I hear what Taylor's saying about um, racism and seeing it now, not just as being somebody who's racist, but as a, a, a systems that have been created with racist undertones, even if they weren't intentional at first, it's, it, it seems like a really daunting task. How do you, 
Yeah. How do you break that down? Is how are you going to do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you feel about it? Yeah, and it's like it's hard because um, it's because it, you sometimes you're the only one there, right? <laughs> I guess the right question is, sorry, but like, I guess the right question isn't like, how are you going to do it? Because like, it's everybody that has to do it. I'm putting so much pressure on me. Yeah, Um, Yeah, right. But I mean, like, like you literally are the only one there. Like you're, you're the only, you're the only one of, you're the only, you know, person of African descent within that space right now. Mm -hmm. Like, does that, does that feel... Does that feel like the like like insurmountable pressure, or 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 are or are you or are you of the mind of like, hey, there's some there's some actual change happening here. I'm not alone. I've got, yeah. I've got my community rallying around me, or at least I got I've got my community working towards taking the steps to rally around me. Um, you know, how, like I I don't I don't want you to sit here and feel like you need to to explain it to us. But I, yeah. but I do I but I but I am curious to know like do you do you feel it's all it's easy for me to sit here and say wow I feel like there's a shift happening mm-hmm. I feel like something different is happening but that's fucking easy for me to say because this is the first time in my 32 years of life where I've actually I've you know I've actually given a shit mm-hmm. about Black Lives Matter yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like, and so of course I'm going, whoa, I'm having all these conversations like in my own head. Like this is, this is all overwhelming for me. Oh my gosh. Like this is so crazy for me. You've been, it's been your life. Yeah. Do do you feel like, do you feel like there's, that there is a shift happening? Like, do you feel like you have, you have this community rallying behind you to like, to support you and the work that you do? And when I say you, I mean like, I mean, in the lens of recreational therapy as a whole. Yeah. Um, Well, I think particularly right now, because I'm kind of um, a little distant from the whole recreation therapy world in terms of practice. And I'm I'm kind of looking at this from an overarching uh, kind of view in terms of the recreation sector in general. And so... Luckily, in that way, I don't feel like I'm the only person of African descent working in the field of recreation in Nova Scotia. There's right. so many, there's so many um, folks that have come before me and after me that are working in recreation and community recreations in particular. And so, I think that you know people are starting to to say, okay, these are leaders in our field that can speak to and and help us to navigate some of those challenges that we have taken for granted for so long mm. um that you know it perhaps it is time for us to start listening to the stories that they're communicating around access and around inclusion and around creating spaces and all of those things that we were kind of like, yeah, that's probably not necessarily true. That's happening. I, I don't believe that it's happening. So they're, mm. they're, they're no longer willing to be dismissed anymore. Mm. You, you can't tell me that these things aren't happening um, because this is, this is the truth that we um, find ourselves in on a daily basis. Mm. Um, mm. And so I think that, that um, there's a lot of strength in that. And then there's some folks there um, in various communities across the province that are like, 
this is real. Like we need to make some changes and we need to do it now and do it from a universal perspective because if we can't provide the services that um, folks in the African Nova Scotia need, how do we really um, say that we are an ex- inclusive um, uh, activity or an inclusive program or whatever? Because mm. if not everybody can access it, then is it really inclusive? That's the mm-hmm. question that, that needs to be answered. And so when we start focusing on um, thinking about anti-racism and um, anti-ism period, then I think it p- puts us in a better position to be able to ensure that folks uh, have access to recreation, period, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that I, sp- I, I speak for the three of us when I say like, you know, well, like I think in the, over the past 10 minutes, they're, you know, uh, jokingly <laughs> in the, in the sense of like, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. but we're, but we're, but we're all in it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it's, 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 mm-hmm. you know, it's not just, it's not just black people that have to, that have to like pick up this thing. Like it's every, everybody's got to be on board. Yeah. Um, everybody has to be there to, to recognize what's going on and to be a part in whatever way, in whatever way that, whatever way that part necessitates mm-hmm. to, to do, to do what needs to, to do, what needs to be done to start to start that dismantling process. And yeah. I, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I, when I think about that whole thing, I think about how long does that take? Um, and I mean, that's a, that's a huge question. I don't know if we, I don't think we want to really get into that. Cause that's like, that's a, that's a, we could have that conversation for 10 hours, but you know, like I've, there's a, there's a building coming up, coming down. There's a, a, there's a building going up behind me, but before it goes up this, this, there's a, there's a, an auto body shop and mm-hmm. it's sheet metal and it's got iron, uh, iron. It's got an iron skeleton, and there is a single man that has been taking that thing down mm. by himself for months, and that that whatever right. is getting built there right. is is not going up until that comes down, and you know, using this as a metaphor, I don't know what that guy's reason is for doing it by himself, but he's got some. If he had hands. And he had help. That thing would have been taken down a long time ago, mm. um, and and you know he's still he's still working at it about ten hours a day, mm-hmm. seven days a week, unofficially um, too. He's he just he just showed up and started dismantling <laughs> that building. The owner showed and, the owners yeah. were there. They were like, "What the fuck is what going on? <laughs> what are you doing?" <laughs> um, Way well, to ruin a beautiful metaphor. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> no, but it's it's true though. Like. Um, you've had you've had really one community situated in this particular experience, and right now the the pressure is on them to tell other people how to fix how to, it. How to fix it? And yeah. I'm like, dude, I didn't even freaking build it. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah that's right. That's you know, right. like yeah. I mean, it's this. This is you. Like, yeah, yeah. you're asking <laughs> you, me to you, you have to na- Yeah, like yeah. you kind of have to navigate around. Mm-hmm. Why the hell did I keep it like this in the first place? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. like now it's time for people to to really reflect and and. I like I don't want to place blame. I don't want to be that person. But we need to we need to accept the fact that these particular systems were put in place so that certain folks can have a, a level of power that is, has been maintained for quite some time. Mm. And now you you're, you're realizing that 
it, this isn't fair. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not mm-hmm. fair. So let's let's just scrap the system and rebuild it in a way that everybody gets an opportunity to be successful, to be well, to have food, to have a house, to have a job, to not mm-hmm. have to go to jail, to not be stopped by the police, whatever that is. Let's let's change it and, mm-hmm. and you know, see things happen for the better. Well, uh, Crystal, I want to say, first of all, thank you <laughs> for taking the time out of your day today uh, to chat with us. But also thank you for um, uh, explaining what a fellow is. Uh, now I feel a little, a little <laughs> I probably more, did a crappy uh, job. But you know what? You did a pretty good I job for it. me. <laughs> uh, and, and also thank you for taking the time to really dive into the world of recreational therapy because I, I think coming into this, there's a lot that I didn't know. And coming out of it, I, I feel like I, I know a whole hell of a lot more than I did coming in. And then, and then finally, thank you for, for um, allowing us to go into that discussion of, of how this all plays into uh, the way that the the black community here in Nova Scotia, but also you know across North America, has been has been involved or not so much involved in in the role of recreation therapy and what needs to be done. Because uh, I think you know we're realizing more and more, especially having more of these conversations, how important these these conversation pieces are and and the work that needs to be done. So thank you for for doing that for us, but also for all of our listeners as well. Well, thank you. It's been great. It wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. It made, it made me feel at home. Thank you. Oh, good. Uh, wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks, thank you, Crystal. Crystal. And then there you go. We talk to a fella. A fella. Well, she's a jolly good fellow. <laughs> fellow. Fellow. Um, yeah, uh, very interesting stuff there. And uh, it's funny. It's funny because, like, when we were going into that conversation be- beforehand, I, 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 my, I think I fell into that sort of like it's I, I think it, it must be a stereotype this thought that like recreation therapy only means you know playing street hockey you know and like and like <laughs> and like bouncing a basketball and 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 you know whatever um but it's it, yeah it's like it, like dudes like this what we're doing right now at one point was recreation mm-hmm. you know like it's now it's, it's profesh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you guys know that um, something really interesting about recreation therapy? It's not recreation therapy per se, but uh, it was an interesting comment from um, uh, my friend Mike. Uh, he was talking about how men who go see therapists who are are being active when they talk to their therapist. So, like, there's these. There's I think a program in Halifax actually with a therapist that does like walk and talks. So they do their sessions while they're being mm-hmm. active. Mm-hmm. Apparently men respond better Whoa. when they're being active to something. So it's the same kind of effect that you would have like, you know, if you think back as a guy to some of the most intimate conversations that you've had with your guy friends, it's not often when you're, they don't often happen when you're sitting face to face. They're usually like, they're you're, usually you're doing they're something. Us- yeah. They're usually when you're uh, doggy style, wearing a mask and not looking at <laughs> yeah, each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's when some of the most intimate stuff comes mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Practice, uh, practice, 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 sex, folks. 
Pre- that was my point, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense, though, because they say that um, uh, female students six, or do better in, like, a sit-down schooling environment, whereas, like, guys... Do they say that? ...learn I, or interact with the world huh. that way. Yeah, they say that that's why, like, girls might do better, or that might be part of the reason that girls do better in school than boys do, because boys are meant to oh, run around more, might learn better that way, or in a less structured, sit-down type this, of an environment. This, this sounds sexist so i'm gonna move right <laughs> along i'm gonna move right I was, along i was wondering i was wondering when you say stuff like that um it's if, not sexist if you're if you're perpetuating if you're per, per, like so so where do we learn that stuff like how if if that's true like even if we take the example of guys are more likely to be open while they're moving while they're being active if we continue to say that does some guy hear this and go oh yeah duh dude it's easier for me to be more open when i'm being active so like are we unintentionally like perpetuating no ideas like that like you've, a, you've like asked that. us you've asked a version of that question but that would be the same as anything i mean but, just uh, because you say something like, that's doesn't how mean those, it, like those like no, i don't think so i, th- I think it's i think, I think, I think it's, I think well, it's a, a much more a biological thing that's just like uh, innate when you're born you just you just there know are it, or is so, it there are that's some things that are socially learned and there are some things that are biologically innate and separating out which ones are which are really fucking hard so um, we should try to get to the bottom of this before we sign off. <laughs> and, there, and there are tendencies. It's, it's a generalization. Right. Exactly. That's, ba- that's based on some data. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, maybe, maybe I'll Maybe I'll rightly get shit for it and I'm totally wrong, but I feel like I've read that before. All right. I mean, it's, not, all right. It's, not, it's not unfair to say that it's not unfair to say that statistically that there are statistical averages that exist in the world as it relates to certain types of people and 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 that everybody's not included in that average obviously because it's an average. hey guys i've just been taught lately to question everything and wonder where it comes from <laughs> and then unlearn and break it down and be better because of it so well yeah sure. that's yeah. my effort to yeah do it's Thanks, you know it's, it's funny when you first started saying that i thought you were referring to the anti-vax conversation that we had on our instagram recently but then you kind of you it kind of took a little bit more of like a black lives matter and the work we've been doing uh, internally with the four of us together, like off the mic. And so that I was like, yeah, no, yeah, I agree with that. Um, anyway, let's not talk about anti-vaxxers. Because <laughs> if we keep doing it, we're going to perpetuate the idea that anti-vaxxing is oh, yeah, thing. Dude, we should just stop having the podcast altogether because just the <laughs> fact that we say that there is taboo out there in the world as it relates to illness means that we're perpetuating it by saying that we, there is taboo and that we shouldn't have taboo. Because Touché, that's Taylor. why we're having the conversations. Touche. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Lauren. And I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.